Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Rare Possessions from the Archives of Book of Mormon Central. This is your host, Nick Galetti, and we want to remind all of you out there that you have the opportunity to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, at Stitcher, Google Play, and on SoundCloud. We want you all to go out there and subscribe to this so that you don't miss any episodes. We've only got a few chapters left of this book, but we already have some other content in the wings waiting. Exciting stuff coming up. Absolutely. And we won't tease it just yet. We'll tease it in future episodes. Once we record it. That's right. Welcome. I should introduce Jared Riddick, the archivist from Book of Mormon Central. Welcome again, Jared. Happy to be here as always. So uh, we have chapter 14, which is where I would say George Q. Cannon jumps into more of the geography, the support of the location of the landing of Lehi and his family, or at least his assertion of where it took place. And that is in South America, which is not the common narrative that we hear much nowadays in the church. Yeah, you can actually sense some real enthusiasm on President Cannon's part here. Uh, He's read this stuff, he's studied this stuff, and, and he's really excited about it. And you can tell he just so whenever you ask somebody a, que- like a question about their pet topic and they start winding up about it and you're like, oh no, what have I done? This is kind of the feeling I have when President, Cam- <laughs> President Cannon starts talking about llamas in this well, chapter. And everything, really. He, he starts off the chapter with a quote from Joseph Smith where he says, well, it's kind of like a secondhand whatever quote of Joseph Smith is stating that Lehigh landed on the coast of the country now known as Chile, Chile, depending on how you want to say it. They, pronounce, uh, they spell it wrong in, in the chapter. Yeah, it's like the, the pepper, the chili pepper. Yeah, they spell it that way. Um, where did this quote come from? Do we have any substance to this quote uh, from well, Joseph Smith? We do have some substance to it. There's actually The featured archive item for this week is actually called Did Lehigh Land in Chile uh, by a fellow named Frederick G. Williams III. Um, and it's an article from the book Re-Exploring the Book of Mormon. And so we encourage you guys, the link will be in the uh, description below. And to give that a read, it's a short, it's a short little article. There's some really interesting stuff there. But yeah, Joseph believed that Lehigh landed on the, on the latitude, longitude latitude of Chile. I believe it was a city, Coquimbo, Chile, is that right? Or something around I, that I area? I wouldn't dare to try and pronounce it. <laughs> I, and I did, and I probably screwed it up. So we have this quote that is essentially not a prophetic declaration, but more that he was saying this seems to be where it was. I don't know how you could postulate yeah. that, seeing as there was a lot of different theories being thrown around in his time. Yeah, Joseph had some very interesting opinions on Book of Mormon geography. It was, it was, it was as, as he learned more right? Uh, as his own education expanded. And it should be noted here that when President Cannon's writing this, he is not speaking as President Cannon. Although he might have been a member of the First Presidency at this time, he's, he's writing as himself. This isn't being published for, uh, by the church. This is geared towards the youth, and he's providing them the evidences that he's found to best— it was called the Faith Promoting Series for a reason. This was— what the information he had that he thought could best help the youth in their study of the Book of Mormon and best keep them on the path, as he would probably say. Yeah. So when he talks about this landing, one of the first things that they do is that they start planting, doing agriculture. Well, that may seem somewhat obvious to us, it does seem like a rather interesting piece of the narrative to bring out when you're talking about a people. You would just assume maybe that they did this, but they make a point of talking about planting seeds. What What's the significance of them being this agrarian people and that being part of the narrative. It's, I think it's artifacts in a few ways of, of President Cannon's 19th century views. Civilization was agriculture. And the lifestyle of Native Americans at that time, of, well, the traditional view of Native Americans was the people that were transient, went throughout hunting. They hunted, yeah. These things. And so he's setting up this, 
separation between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And he's actually mentioned earlier in the book. We've discussed it before. But yeah, I think that's why he really brings it out is that they became civilized. This chapter also brings up the issue of horses in the Book of Mormon. And so for years, even back to George Q. Cannon's day, there was an issue raised by critics of the church that the Book of Mormon's authenticity was brought into question because of the mention of horses. Mm -hmm. Now, since then, we've seen a lot of scholarship that's gone into this, and I believe there's even a know-why addressing this issue. So what is some of the more recent scholarship we have regarding the presence of horses? There's more stuff coming. It's still a fairly intense debate. People still, a lot, many still want to track the appearance of modern horses in the North, North and South America and Central America from the arrival of the Spaniards. Um, but there are those that argue that, no, that horses were there thousands of years beforehand. And there's been some very interesting research on that recently. A recent article in BYU Studies by Wade Miller and Matthew Roper, let me get the actual title here for you, called Animals in the Book of Mormon, uh, Challenges and Perspectives. This item's not actually available on the archive yet. It's still behind a paywall, but it's uh, only a few bucks for those who are interested in taking a look. Uh, there's some really, really interesting stuff there about new dating that's been done of, of uh, bones. There's, there's more stuff coming, and I think it will change the conversation. Does some of this have to do with the fact that we have to look in what we might call, in air quotes, the right place? I mean, if there's people that have different geographic assertions, and George Q. Cannon is saying, I think it's in South America, and I'm comfortable with the idea there were horses there. Mm -hmm. Does that matter in this discussion of where to look for horses? It matters a bit. I think that a large number of the members of the church in the 19th century kind of had a, a hemispheric view of Book of Mormon geography. The narrative of land was clearly Panama, and there's a lot of confusion there. And it wasn't for quite a few years, I think actually until the early 20th century, that the idea of a limited geography, a small area, came about. I believe J. Niall Washburn claimed credit for uh, posing the limited geography theory, who's an LDS scholar that's not as well known today. I believe he passed away in the 1980s. But where to look? comes to the question. A Book of Mormon Central's approach, I think, is we will take the good evidence regardless of where it comes from. Um, something that will help towards Book of Mormon historicity. If it, the Book of Mormon Central is geographically neutral. We believe it took place in the New World. Um, that's probably as far as we'll go towards t establishing an official position. But the good evidence will come from whence it may. And we look forward and, and know that evidence is continually rolling out. Excellent. All right, well, there's all sorts of fun stuff here in this chapter, chapter 14 of Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. So here now is a reading of that chapter. The Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon, chapter 14. They landed and pitched their tents, and they acknowledged that the Lord had indeed fulfilled his promises unto them. He had guided them through the wilderness had enabled them to construct a vessel in which he had brought them safely across the mighty breadth of ocean which extended from the coast of Arabia to the coast of what is now called South America, or as they with good reason called it, the Promised Land. The prophet Joseph Smith, in speaking of their place of landing, said, It was on the coast of the country now known as Chile, a country which possessed a genial, temperate, and healthy climate. They immediately turned their attention to agriculture. They prepared the ground and put in all the seeds which they had brought with them from the land of Jerusalem. They found the soil admirably adapted for agriculture. Their seeds grew finely and yielded good crops, and they were blessed with abundance. We find no mention made of any seeds being planted by them at any point from the time of their departure from Jerusalem until they reached the promised land. If while encamped in the valley of Lemuel or at Bountiful they cultivated the earth and raised provisions or seeds, 
we are not informed of it, though doubtless both places were suitable for that purpose. In exploring the wilderness after their arrival, they found animals of every kind, the cow, the ox, the ass, and the horse, the goat, and the wild goat, and all manner of wild animals which were for the use of man. They also found ores of all kinds, particularly gold, silver, and copper. The animals they tamed for their use, and Nephi and his people raised large flocks of herds of animals of every kind. Doubtless they raised herds of a species of camel, which is native to the northern part of Chile and to Peru. The Spaniards called them carneros de la tierra. These animals in many respects resemble the camel of the old continent, but differ materially in others. They are less in size, but of a more elegant form. They have a small head without horns, but a large tuft of hair adorns the forehead. A very long, slender neck, well-proportioned ears, large, round, full black eyes, a short muzzle, the upper lip more or less cleft, the body is handsomely turned, the legs long and slender, the feet bipartite, or divided in the hoof like deer and the sheep. The covering of the body is a mixture of hair and wool. These varieties of these animals are the llama, pace, or alpaco, guanaco, and vicuna, or vicuña. The size of a full-grown llama is five feet five inches from the bottom of the foot to the top of the shoulders. It is by far the handsomest and most majestic animal of the four. The wool is coarse, but so abundant on the body that they carry loads on their backs without pack saddles. Travelers say that nothing can exceed the beauty of a drove of these animals as they march along with their cargoes on their backs, each being about a hundred pounds weight, following each other in the most orderly manner equal to a file of soldiers headed by one with a tastefully embroidered halter on his head, covered with small bells and a small streamer on his head. Thus they cross the snow-covered tops of the mountains, or defile along their sides. Many parts of the routes over which they travel are not suitable for the service of horses or even mules. Like the camel, the llama kneels to receive its load. But if too heavy laden, it will refuse to rise until it's lightened. Its wool can only be used for very ordinary purposes. But that of the alpaca is manufactured into most beautiful blankets, which are as soft as silk. Though the llama and the alpaca were domesticated by the Lamanites before the arrival of the Spaniards in South America, yet they and the guanaco and the vicuna have never mixed. The breeds are distinct and will remain so. Nephi informs us in his record that among the other animals which they found in the wilderness upon their arrival at the promised land was the horse. There have been persons who have declared that because of this statement, the record could not be true. They have used this as an argument against the divine origin of the Book of Mormon, for as they have asserted, the horse was not known upon this continent until it was brought here by the Spaniards. In this way, they have tried to prove the record to be false. But recent researches by scientific men have demonstrated beyond the possibility of doubt that America is the original home of the horse, and at certain periods it was occupied with horses of many and various forms. Remains of the true horses we have it among us at the present time have been found all over the land. Professor O. C. Marsh, whose patient and intelligent investigations have thrown a flood of light upon this subject, states that the true horse at one time roamed over the whole of North and South America. He believes that it became extinct before the discovery of the continent by Europeans, but he says no satisfactory reason for the extinction has yet to be given. In fact, he acknowledges that at present, it is a mystery why the horse should have been selected for extinction, while other mammals, no better adapted than it for the surroundings, should have survived. He comments freely upon the strangeness of its disappearance, 
for he is evidently convinced that when the continent was discovered by Europeans, it had disappeared, and that we are indebted for our present horse to the old world, as Europe is called. But we think it is by no means certain that there were no horses on the continent when it was discovered by men from Europe. Robert Dudley, Earl of Northumberland, published a book, Arcano del Mare, in Florence, Italy, in 1630 to which Reverend Edward E. Hale referred in a paper read by him before the American Antiquarian Society, in which he states that Sir Francis Drake found many wild horses on the west coast of North America, at which he wondered because the Spaniards had never found horses in America. Mr. Hale said, The atlas in the Arcano contains 33 maps of America. My notes on the Munich atlas show that that contains 46 maps in manuscript, After the engraved map, number 33, the reference to Drake and the coldness of Oregon in the following words. As the extract from Dudley referred to by Mr. Hale in Italian, we give the translation. This map is the last of the sixth book, which map begins with the port of New Albinion, longitude 237 degrees and latitude 38 degrees, discovered by the Englishman, Drake, about 1579, as said above, a place favorable for taking in water and getting other necessaries. The said Drake found that the savages of the country were very courteous and kind, and the land pretty fruitful and the air temperate. He saw rabbits in great numbers, but with long tails as long as those of rats, and saw many wild horses with the more wonder because the Spaniards never saw horses in America. And the reason that Drake sought and found the said port was this, that having passed the true Cape of Mendozino, latitude 42 degrees 30 minutes, to take water at 43 degrees 30 minutes, north latitude, he found the coast so cold in the month of June that his crew could not bear it, at which he quite wondered the latitude being about the same as that of Tuscany and of Rome in Italy. In a conversation with Professor Marsh at Washington in the winter of 1881, we called his attention to the statement of Dudley's. He had heard of it, But possessed of the belief that the horse was extinct when Europeans came to this continent, he was not inclined to accept Dudley's statement as true. Yet aside from the widespread and generally accepted belief that there were no horses on the continent at the time of its discovery, there is no evidence which has come to the knowledge of paleontologists or naturalists to prove that the horse was not here at that time. The evidence of its existence up to a comparatively recent period are abundant all over the continent, and wonder is expressed by investigators that it should have disappeared. But did it disappear? Six hundred years before the advent of the Savior, Lehi and his company found the horse in South America. There is no reason to doubt that it was preserved by his descendants up to the time of the extinction of the Nephites, early in the fifth century of our era. It is customary to account for the immense herds of American horses on the assumption that the Spaniards introduced them. But if Drake and his companions saw these horses as described by Dudley, they could not have been descendants of Spanish horses, for no Spaniards had penetrated that country or been within hundreds of miles of it at the time of its discovery by Drake in 1579. Viceroy Mendoza, who succeeded Cortes by appointment of the Emperor Charles in the civil administration of the Spanish possessions, Cortes being restricted to his duties as military commander, sent out Vasquez de Coronado to find the seven cities of Cibola, of the wealth of which the Spaniards had heard very wonderful stories. As early as 1540, he penetrated the country as far as the territory now known as New Mexico, and probably into Arizona. He and his troop had horses, but even if they had lost or turned loose any, 
It is most improbable that in 39 years they would have multiplied into large herds observed by Drake on the seaboard, which, as we know, was at least 500 miles away. Coronado had but few horses, would have had fewer brood mares, and would have been apt to mention any loss of a large number of auxiliaries so essential to his expedition. Dudley published his work in Italy, where he was residing in 1630. He was a navigator himself and was the son-in-law of Cavendish, one of the explorers of the South Seas. He was well acquainted with the survivors of Drake's voyages. His description of the wild horses they saw has nothing improbable about it, for until quite recently, wild horses roamed in herds over all that country. At the time we settled in this territory, wild horses in California were very numerous, and we see no reasons to doubt the correctness of Dudley's statement that Drake saw them in great numbers when he visited the coast in 1579. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.